Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. This week, I sit down with Jasmine Jean, the Director of Product Marketing for Support and Platform at Intercom. We discuss stakeholder management and establishing product marketing. Jasmine shares her insights on stakeholder management and how to build trust and nurture relationships with the product team and other product stakeholders. We also discuss the recent rebrand that Jasmine was a vital part of and the difference between messaging, positioning, and copywriting. I can't wait for you to listen. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards, delivered everywhere your sales reps live, and allowing them to contribute insights from the field. It's competitive strategy as a key lever of revenue. Elevate your role and outmaneuver, outplay, and outmatch the competition with Clue. This show is produced by Shareberg, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers for your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to Shareberg.com. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm thrilled today to be interviewing Jasmine John, a Director of Product Marketing at Intercom. Jasmine has had an excellent product marketing career at Intercom, Brandwatch, and many more. Welcome, Jasmine, to the show. Thanks, Mary. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So just to kick it off, I'd love to know what inspires you. It's a little bit of a cliche or maybe a bit cheesy, (laughs) but I'd say my team inspires me seeing them grow and develop and like helping them along the way. I find very inspiring and they teach me things, come up with new ideas and everything I do is kind of to help my team meet their goals and improve in their careers as well. That's so awesome. I'm also inspired by my team frequently. It's so fun to (laughs) learn and just have people that are curious and be able to just connect in that way. So I love that. That's such a wonderful inspiration to have. I'd love to hear more about your role. I know you've been at Intercom for, I think, about six years. So I'd love to hear what it's like to be a director. Tell us what's going on at Intercom and tell us more about your team. Yeah, definitely. So as you said, I've been at Intercom for six years and I've had various different product marketing roles in my time there. Right now, I look after three of the groups within PMM. So one of the groups focused on our support solution that we sell to support teams. One group that's focused on our platform capabilities, which is really where I started at Intercom, which is things like our app and partner ecosystem, things like our data platform. And then I also have someone in my team who's focused on what we call core, which is essentially our overarching positioning and messaging of Intercom as a full platform. So kind of the layer above our solutions. And he also owns things like our personas, understanding our ideal customer profiles and that kind of thing. So it's a varied kind of different areas of the business. And I think in my time, I've been on nearly every different part of our product and solutions at some point. But really my role is helping influence the strategy for those different areas areas and then helping my team kind of execute on the goals and fulfill that strategy. 
That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I know that you have many areas of expertise with product marketing. We could probably take this conversation a bunch of different ways, but you've done a couple of AMAs with ShareBird, specifically on stakeholder management and establishing product marketing. So I want to get into both of those topics with you today. And let's kick it off with stakeholder management. So this is obviously a really popular topic on this show and with product (laughs) marketing in general, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. So, I mean, just to kick us off, how do you actually build those great working relationships with your product management team, as well as other stakeholders? What are are some of the approaches that you've had? Yeah, I mean, stakeholder management is so core to a product marketing role. We work with so many other teams. And I think that's something I learned very early on is if you don't have buy-in and relationships with all those different stakeholders, then you're really not going to make that much progress. And I think there are some team-specific things, but in generally, it all comes down to understanding the goals and perspectives of those different stakeholders adjusting your comms and how you talk to those people depending on what they care about and really trying to build that relationship so they understand your goals and perspective as well and kind of building trust because then you can have those difficult conversations about a launch tier or whatever it might be with your product counterparts but come at it from a place where you both know you have the best intentions you have a shared goal for whatever your company goals are and you have that trust built up and that takes time And I think comes through regular communication, regularly meeting, but also showing the value your team can bring as well. And, you know, showing how you can be helpful and giving as well as taking when you're working with those teams. So it's really like making sure it's that two way and that you have that trust built up. I love the two-way analogy, and I think that's so important. Do you have any specific examples of that that might work in a virtual or a hybrid environment? It's definitely harder when you're not in the room with people. I mean, I'm a big fan of remote work, but also know that sometimes just getting in a room or hanging out at lunch helps build those relationships with people. And so I'd say doing one-to-one calls and things is really helpful. Talking about not just the work stuff, but also trying to get to know each other as people. So that can be in your one-to-ones, but it could also be like doing more lunch calls or happy hour type things, whatever, you know, you like doing it kind of varies from person to person, but using those times to kind of connect as people as well as work colleagues, I think is really helpful. That's great. And kind of selfishly, so you and I were talking before we started recording, this is my first week back from maternity leave and my first week stepping into a new (laughs) product marketing role where I have a ton of new stakeholders. So I'm quickly trying to refresh how to build those relationships. So all of that is really good advice. And I think that's a really good reminder that even though we want to accomplish big things with the businesses that we're in, taking a moment to actually build the relationships and care about them care about everyone you're working with as a person. I mean, that's what makes it worthwhile to come to work and why we're Mm -hmm. doing this. So that's such a good reminder. I'd also love to understand a little bit more about your work on your recent rebrand. So how you maybe worked with stakeholders within that. So there's probably a lot to connect the dots on the product roadmap, as well as the marketing strategy. So can you walk us through how stakeholder relations maybe influence that and tell us more about the rebrand. I'd love to hear about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for those who aren't familiar, we recently kind of launched repositioning of our brand around Intercom being the engagement OS. So this is really built on our belief. The future of kind of customer to business communication is about creating ongoing engagement with your customers at different touch points. And kind of, we're just talking about building relationships, (laughs) building relationships between businesses and their customers as well. And this effort was really driven by our corporate marketing team. So our brand teams within there. But we inputted heavily on obviously making sure this aligned with how we've talked about our product, our product vision and roadmap, and really helping shift towards an upmarket kind of play, which is where we're shifting as a business generally. And so I think obviously building really close relationships with those brand teams and working really closely together is really important because the nuances of language when it comes to messaging and positioning really matter. And so we get into lots of discussions around the language we're using. Does this particular thing resonate with all of our different audiences? And us really bringing those kind of customer persona insights and then inputting, giving feedback along the way was really important. So we have an agency who also helped with this effort alongside the brand team. And really for us, it was like being involved all along the way, being involved in the briefings to brief those agencies and teams in on our messaging, and then being in review meetings and things as it went on and giving feedback. We already had a pretty close relationship with the brand team because we've done lots of similar kind of positioning and campaign work with them before, but we had new stakeholders, right? Whole new agency who didn't know all of us and our business. And so for them is really kind of, again, building up that trust, helping them understand our business. And then us also trying to understand, you know, what role they play and what they can add as well. I love that you brought up the partnership with the brand team and how that kind of infiltrated every step of the way in the entire process and through messaging and actually execution as well. Would you say that it was hard to define the swim lanes with the brand team about who was owning what? So just for context, I was recently in a conversation with another product marketer about who owns things like the tone and the actual Mm. word choice. And I was arguing that that's actually up to the brand team, but we're bringing those customer insights to the table. So did you have really clearly defined swim lanes or was it pretty obvious or how did you kind of work with that team specifically on making sure? that you each were adding Mm. value? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say for this project, like there was still some murkiness, but we're in a pretty good place, at least with our internal teams on the ownership there. But it's been something of debate in the past, especially when it comes to, you know, obviously getting into the tactical execution, but things like landing pages where our brand team do own our tone and voice. But we are coming from the customer perspective and saying like, these are the terms our buyers use and like finding the balance between those is really tricky. And you kind of have to like compromise along the way where there are times where we decide this is a hill I want to die on. We have to use this specific word for this feature because that's what people are searching for and will recognize. And then other times where we're like, okay, that's not necessarily how I would describe it as a PMM, but that's better for our kind of brand tone and voice. And so it's definitely been like back and forth in the past. And 
we have had those conversations around like, okay, who ultimately gets the decision? Because obviously the brand voice is really important and you want to be consistent. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to work for your buyers, and ultimately that's what you're trying to get to do is people to buy your product, then it's kind of like clashing with that brand. So I think we've definitely not perfect, but over the years have ironed out some of those like swim lanes and have just built a shared understanding over time with our brand and copywriting teams around why we might sometimes push on certain things and then understanding why they will push on certain things as well. And hopefully being able to compromise and find a good middle ground. That's great. Yeah, I love that you brought up all of these different ways that you could be thinking about it from the lens standpoint. And ultimately, what's most important is, are your buyers going to, is this going to resonate with them? Mm -hmm. So actually taking your ego out of it as a PMM, I don't like that comment. I hate that. It's like, but will the customer understand what you're trying to say? Are those the words Mm -hmm. that they say? That's the data that we can bring to the table, not nickeling and diming every single copy edited word. So that's brilliant. And uh, I think that that's a good frame work to operate from. So really cool to hear that that's working out for you. And yes, as you mentioned, it takes time. Your first project was probably a lot more friction than this Mm -hmm. one, but it seems like you've worked together for years and have the kinds of ins and outs together. So yeah, that's really good. Relying on testing as well. Like if we really get into a roadblock, then yeah. sometimes we just say like, let's just test it. Like we'll run a quick messaging test on a research tool or run it by one of the great things is that we sell to like support and marketing teams and we have support and marketing teams. So we can run it, go and talk to some support folks or go and talk to the sales team and ask how their buyers kind of use that language and try and not just base it on like, well, I think this, but I think this <laughs> and try and get into that kind of battle of opinions and try and find some other data points as well. So smart. Yeah. Take the emotion out of it and bring the data. And those are all really creative and often necessarily scrappy ways to actually get it. Just, Mm -hmm. Hey, let's get a quick take, the hot take from the customer support team and see what they have to say. So I love that. That's really kind of tactical advice that listeners can take home as well. That's great. So kind of in the spirit of communicating things you're working on with these partner teams, have you found a good framework to communicate something like the product roadmap to customers? So I know that that's always such a shiny thing that they want the PMM (laughs) team to develop. And then it's like, is this appropriate for all of our customers or any of our customers? What can we share? So I'd love to hear about how you're translating that kind Mm. of thing. So intensive with your partner teams, especially the product team, of course, and then actually getting it out the door to customers. Yeah. And this is an ever evolving thing intercom. Like when I joined, we had no kind of version of a customer facing roadmap and our teams really didn't plan that far ahead. You know, our product team would be planning like a quarter out. So there wasn't much we could share about the future, at least in any kind of tangible detail at that point. Over the years, obviously, we've had those requests, especially from our sales team to be able to share more of what's coming. And, you know, you really don't want to be losing a deal because of a feature that is coming like in the next month <laughs> because you can't say anything. And so over time, we have produced a customer facing roadmap, which currently is only used by our sales teams once they're kind of in the deal process. So maybe for, like close to closing or by our relationship 
relationship managers when they do their like quarterly check-ins or regular check-ins with our customers and can share more about what's coming up. With certain groups like our customer advisory board, we will share kind of even further out and essentially the way we balance that tension between not giving specific dates, but giving people an idea of what we're shipping is that things that are coming in the next couple of quarters will give a rough quarter timing and we never give exact dates because we all know things change, things shift. But beyond that, it becomes much more thematic, which I actually think in general is more helpful for, you know, especially when you're talking to prospects who don't know all the ins and outs of your features anyway, talking more about here are the things we believe are important. These are the areas we're investing in, not getting into the specific granular features of how we're going to deliver that, but more what we're aiming towards in the vision. But it's a hot topic right now. We're discussing like, should it be more public? Should it be further out? <laughs> you know, I think it shifted dramatically, whereas in the past, there maybe was more hesitancy from the product teams on sharing those things due to the concern about being held to dates. And it's actually shifted a little bit. And now they're more pushing for like, we should share more of our vision and roadmap with customers. So interesting. Yeah, I think there's not a perfect answer for it as you guys yeah. have kind of gone back and forth. And you could always take the Apple approach too, where you just tell nothing and then just have <laughs> a huge drop and shock the world. But yeah, I think your takeaway though, of the different versions makes mm. the most sense. So it's obviously there's a very detailed internal version and then probably maybe even different versions of that that you're sharing to executives and the sellers mm-hmm. versus the core working doc for the product team is. And then depending on the level of trust you have with the customers or even maybe NDAs like you might have with Mm -hmm. your cab members. I think that makes sense to share different things. But yeah, let me know if you land on (laughs) a new solution. I'd love to hear it. But yeah, it's always kind of like, this struggle of, you know, are we giving too much? Are we not giving enough? And the dates are always very precarious too. So it's it's very risky to put that out there. And then you're in this motion where you have to talk about alphas and betas, Mm -hmm. customers externally, if you don't hit that date sometimes. So yeah, I know that the struggle is real. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'll let you know if we come up with some magic answer. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, great. Well, I want to move now to another AMA that you did, some of the questions around establishing product marketing. And what I think is really interesting with this topic is that it's not just about being the first product marketer anymore. Mm -hmm. As we've known with the great resignation, teams are really in flux right now. And so you might be kind of establishing product marketing a re-establishing product marketing at your company or in your business organization with a team of new people on mm. your product marketing side with your product and eng folks, everyone might be coming in new. And so it might be this opportunity to re-establish product marketing, even if you're not at a very small startup. So I love this. And I kind of want to think through with you, because I know this is one of your areas of expertise. How do you think about messaging? So if you're developing a messaging hierarchy from scratch, mm. how would you do something like that when you're trying to establish product marketing as this function? Yeah, I'm very passionate about kind of messaging hierarchy. And I think because it was a gap we had to intercom at some point, we realized we had so many different messaging guides and teams are like, didn't know what messaging to use where, and we had no kind of hierarchy on when to use different levels. And so I'll talk about how we kind of tackled it 
I kind of created a pyramid and there's various versions of this around online, but a pyramid of that hierarchy where we have kind of brand right at the top. Then there's like the overall product messaging. Then there's our solution messaging. And then beneath that is our feature messaging. And one of the challenges we were having is that because we're a very product driven company, we do a lot of feature launches and we were often talking at the feature level, but especially as we selling to larger businesses, we need to much more talk about like the overall solution and the value that the solution is bringing. And this is like a continuous effort and evolution for us. And we're still trying to figure out exactly the best ways to do that. But that messaging hierarchy was incredibly helpful just for getting alignment with lots of different teams who are probably not in the world of messaging day in and day out and may not understand the differences and why you use different messaging for different kind of stages of the funnel, for example. So that was like a good starting point just to get alignment on, okay, here's how we think about messaging and how these different messaging fit together. And then some of the other pieces that have been really important is establishing the role of messaging and the difference between positioning and messaging and messaging and copywriting. Because I find often we get into discussions with stakeholders around like specific wording and like this not sounding exciting enough, (laughs) whatever, but trying to reiterate like this is the key message and then we can put our copywriting joy and sparkle on it afterwards. So those things, just getting that alignment on what messaging is and the different levels is like a really good first step, in my opinion, to get everyone on the same page and like what you even mean when you say messaging before you get into trying to get alignment on the messaging itself. Yeah, the plan for the plan. And I really think that's important because, yeah, you can just devolve into this Google Doc of comments of people hating word choices. And it's really important to establish that the messaging is not the copy. So Mm -hmm. positioning is more all-encompassing than the messaging should be and, you know, more of a strategy play. So I love that even having a slide to reframe to everybody and not assuming, especially in this concept of reestablishing product marketing, assume people Mm -hmm. know nothing, assume your audience is starting at this ground zero that we can be able to build up from. So I think that's really clever. And I love a good framework with all the, (laughs) but if your stakeholders don't understand what you're trying to accomplish with it, it's really hard to get that communicated. Mm -hmm. Other than what you mentioned with the battle for the copy edits and things like that, are there any other obstacles that you encounter when you're thinking about implementing new messages for products? Yeah, I'd say it's probably kind of two main areas and one is more tactical than the other. One of the challenges we often have in getting alignment on messaging with product stakeholders and even kind of engineering and designers and things as well is the concept of like one key message of trying to get across one key thing. And understandably, the teams who are like building the things are like, yeah, but it also does this and all these cool things and you haven't mentioned this and trying to kind of educate and hold the line on, look, we can't say everything, at least like at the very top at the beginning. So we need to figure out like, what's the one main thing we want to get across? And hopefully that thing is like a value benefit (laughs) statement. And then later we can get into how we do that and what the features are. And then we can call out all the cool things. Like once they're a little bit further down their journey of discovery with that product or feature. And so that we've gone through so many different messaging templates to try and help people focus and get that alignment because we get into a lot of circular conversations around no we're just trying to say one thing 
yeah, but what about all these things? So I'd say that's one thing. The other piece is just like the size of Intercom now. We're over a thousand people. We have like very large sales teams and marketing teams. And just the enablement aspect of, you know, if we're changing messaging for a solution that then has to be not only updated in many different assets and on the website and all over the place where we might be using that messaging, but also enabling our whole sales force and our marketing teams to understand that new messaging, understand why we've made whatever change we've made, and then get them feeling comfortable actually using that so that we're being consistent. That's great. Yeah, I think what the first part of your answer, I call it the kitchen sink syndrome, where they kind of add everything in the kitchen sink onto that message. It's like, well, in reality, we would love everyone to memorize a 100 page document <laughs> of our features and how amazing we are. But you know, when you're in a competitive environment, you need them to just absorb this one thing. So yes, it's really yeah. helpful. I have come into situations where we've had new messaging rolled out and we've gone above and beyond and making sure everyone knows it, even giving presentations to the engineers and putting it on a t-shirt, so to speak. Yeah. Then I've done some research or just listened to sales calls and I found that sometimes the message isn't resonating or, you know, mm-hmm. half the sales team is actually saying the old positioning. Have you ever gone through and done anything like that or assessed how the messaging is actually landing with your sales team? And I'm just kind of throwing this out to you. I don't know if you've done this as well, but I'd love to hear about how you know if it actually has stuff mm. after all your work. Yeah, I would say we treat messaging as like continually iterating, okay. which is also yeah. a challenge from an A1 perspective, right? When do you enable people on new messaging if you're kind of continually adjusting it? But I wouldn't say we have like a perfect way to measure whether the messaging is working, but we do obviously listen to sales calls on Gong and things like that and talk to our sales team to try and understand if they are using the messaging and if not, then trying to understand why is it because they don't believe in it? Is it because they've tried and it's not resonating? Is it because they're just so used to the old and they they don't have to learn their new messaging? So trying to understand why. And then obviously we assess things like click-through rates on our solution pages on the website, things like that, understanding like, is this working? As well as things like our demand team running different ads and then seeing which ones perform best. So we don't have a super solid process for that. I'd say it's probably looser than it should should be. (laughs) But we use those kind of signals to help us understand whether we should shift things. And one other thing I'll mention is that we also are looking at kind of like the climate around us as well. An example of this was at the start of COVID, we knew that our support messaging at the time, which was all around growth and driving growth through your support team, was probably going to resonate less because lots of teams were getting into like cost cutting or like worrying about the teams and probably not getting more budget for more headcount. And lots of them were dealing with this huge influx of like online conversations because everyone was moving online. And so we adjusted our messaging to focus more on things like automation and efficiency and those other pieces of value that our solution brings and focus less on the growth message. 
Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love to the tools that you mentioned that you are using like Gong that mm-hmm. I haven't ever tried that or any of their competitors. So I feel like that would be just really cool in terms of understanding it and then thinking about the why behind, you know, why this isn't working. So all of those things are incredibly helpful to think about as you're rolling this out. So thank you for sharing that. One more question in this section, I wanted to talk a little bit about repositioning. So we talk about messaging and positioning a lot in this context of a product launch. And I think then it's pretty easy because it's this new thing. And you've kind of already been alluding to this, that message Mm. is continual and, you know, something Mm -hmm. that you always want to be iterating on and refreshing. But for you at Intercom, a market leading product, how do you think about actually repositioning something? And is there anything else besides those market trends, those macro level things you're looking at that would help you understand, okay, it's time to reposition. And this is something we really need to do. Yeah, I think the times we've really thought about repositioning or done repositioning have either been driven by a change in company strategy. So the biggest example being we very much used to sell to SMBs and startups, and that was kind of our sweet spot. And then over time, our company strategy has shifted to we still serve those small businesses as well, but we also are trying to move up market and sell to larger businesses as well. And we know that larger businesses and the buyers in those businesses care about different things. And so we needed to reposition the product for that. And we've kind of done that repositioning gradually or like through multiple evolutions. It wasn't like one big moment where we're like, okay, we're changing the whole thing. So I think that's one of the drivers. And then the others are when based on our kind of buying persona insights. So we've just done like a large refresh of all of our personas, understanding our ideal customer profiles, understanding the buying process. We'd previously done this about two to three years ago. And like we've changed as a business, products has changed the world has changed, our buyers have changed. And so that has been very helpful for kind of understanding things like, okay, what are buyer preferences now with what they're looking for, how they measure ROI, what questions are important, who's involved in the buying process and what that looks like. All of those things are kind of helping us iterate on our positioning. Like what are we focused on? How does that positioning kind of differ for those different buyers? And we're just at the kind of early stages, I think, of really starting to implement some of those insights. But I say those are the kind of two main ways I've seen us really kind of shift our positioning. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I can't believe it, but it's already time for rapid fire questions. <laughs> so I wanted to get into that with you. So first of all, love this question, but who have been your strongest mentors? Yeah, this is a difficult question to answer (laughs) because I think I've had so many like great managers over my time. I feel very lucky. I'd say... I'll just hone in on one given it's rapid fire. So (laughs) Matt Hodges, who hired me when I joined Intercom, he was such a huge help in helping me hone my product marketing skills. And one of the reasons I joined Intercom is because I wanted to learn from other PMMs. And there were lots of great PMMs in the team who'd been doing it for some time and other businesses. And yeah, he has like incredible attention to detail very giving in terms of giving lots of his time and feedback. And so that he was just like really helpful, both as a manager, but also as a kind of mentor role. 
That's so cool. I actually felt like Matt was a celebrity PMM <laughs> a few years ago because he did all this really incredible work with jobs to be done. Yeah. Intercom and you guys publicized it and wrote like an ebook about it and did, you know, tons of articles. Mm-hmm. Like he, his work really inspired me. I've never met him, but that's amazing. He was your mentor. He's a celebrity PMM in my eyes. So <laughs> I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> This is hard to boil down, but what would you say is one thing that's been the most important to growing your career? I think just like a curiosity and like a drive to learn new things. I get bored easily. So I kind of, I'm always trying to find something new to learn and just looking for opportunities to try new things and like volunteer for things. And I think that has really helped me develop in my career because I've tried lots of different parts of product marketing. I've learned what I like and don't like. And I've also had the opportunity to test my skills and grow my skills in those different areas. And so, yeah, I think really just that kind of curiosity and drive and willingness to try things out. That's wonderful. Networking, love it or hate it. Do you do it? <laughs> Tell us your secrets. <laughs> I am not great at networking. I'm a bit of an introvert and I find like meeting big groups of people I don't know <laughs> kind of challenging. So I definitely probably don't do as much of it as I should, but I prefer connecting with people like in small groups or one-to-one. So I'm always like, if I'm not too busy, I'm always willing to talk to people who reach out to me on LinkedIn. I mentor some people through the PMM Alliance, which I really love and meeting like PMMs through other PMMs and doing things like people coming in to talk to our team and then us doing the same and sharing knowledge. So I'd say my networking is more in that kind of vein rather than going to like classic networking events. I know they seem really daunting, don't they? (laughs) Since we haven't been in any big events lately. So I hear you. And yes, I think that's a great approach. Last question for you, Jasmine. Why product marketing? I think it's really about variety. I mean, I mentioned I get bored easily. (laughs) I think like the variety and kind of central role product marketing plays where you work with so many different teams. There's so many different types of work within product marketing. And I really like feeling like that center of like so many different teams. So I think that's really why. That's beautiful. Well, so fun to talk to someone that is extremely passionate about product marketing and you're doing amazing work at Intercom. I'm such a fan of all the product marketing work you guys put out. So well done on leading that team. And thank you so much for your time today, Jasmine. It's been such a great conversation. So lovely to have you on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers for your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head over to sharebird.com. We'll also link Jasmine's AMA in the show notes. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business.